welcome to the weekly podcast of Trinity Life Church. We are a local church that gathers in downtown Toronto on Sundays and all throughout our city during the week. Now our mission is to help people discover their identity and destiny in Christ so we can influence our city, our country, and our world. If you're looking for a place to call home, we'd love to have you. Our services are Sunday from 10.30 to noon at Jarvis Collegiate. Enjoy this week's podcast. This is the word of the Lord. And at mealtime, Boaz said to her, come here and eat some bread and dip your morsel in the wine. So she sat beside the reapers and he passed to her roasted grain. And she ate until she was satisfied. And she had some left over. When she rose to glean, Boaz instructed his young man, saying, Let her glean even among the sheaves, and do not reproach her. And also pull out some from the bundles for her and leave it for her to glean, and do not rebuke her. So she gleaned in the field until evening. Then she beat out what she had gleaned, and it was about an ephah of barley. And she took it up and went into the city. Her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned. She also brought out and gave her what food she had left over after being satisfied. And her mother-in-law said to her, Where did you glean today? And where have you worked? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. So she told her mother-in-law with whom she had worked and said, The man's name with whom I work today is Boaz. And Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, May he be blessed by the Lord, whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. Naomi also said to her, The man is a close relative of ours, one of our redeemers. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you so much for your word. And we just rely on the truth of your word, that your word does not return void. So open our hearts this morning, open our ears, open our minds, form us by your word, transform us, mold us into your image, Lord God. Just make us more like you in this time. Thank you for... Uh, just modeling that for us, Lord Jesus, so perfectly, and for being our Redeemer. We love you, Jesus. Pray this in your name. Amen. All right, good morning, everyone. Um, For those who don't know me, um, I think I know most people, but a lot of people I don't know. My name is Michelle, and as Mike mentioned, I'm married to Andrew. He's not here. And I have, we have an almost two-year-old daughter, Eden, and she's also not here. But she might have pink eyes, so that's for all of you, for your, your sake. Um, But anyway, I just wanted to um, say that I really love the Book of Ruth. And when Mike asked if I could speak on the Book of Ruth, I was like, yeah. And then chapter two is one of my favorite chapters in the book. Well, I guess the whole, there's only four four chapters, right? But anyway, um, so I I really am glad that I had this opportunity to speak about um, Ruth. And we're actually in a series called The Friend Zone, and we're focusing on relationships and um, different relationships in the book of Ruth. So last week, Daniel did an amazing job talking about the relationship between Ruth and Naomi. And then today, I'm going to talk about the relationship between um, Boaz and Naomi. And so if you don't know who Boaz is, you'll find out in a moment. Um, yeah, so how many of you went on the TLC camping retreat last summer? Okay. So this is the, that was the second year, so hopefully we'll keep doing it. It's an annual thing. Um, I think it might be. Um, it's a really fun opportunity for the church to get together in the summertime. We went camping, car camping, so there's some convenience there. But, you know, still, you're out in the open and no, like, showers. Well, I guess they're... Anyway, we didn't sleep over, so I don't know the logistics of all those details. <laughs> we were that family that just came one day, okay? So we arrived on Saturday... And because we arrived on Saturday, Saturday's a busy day for a park, right? So we get there, 
and I'm so excited, and Eden's in the back, and it's kind of hot, and we get there, and there's this huge lineup of cars just to get into the park, and I'm like, oh, I told you, Andrew, we should have left earlier, and just like, we're just, I'm just like, oh, and I can hear some people at TLC, like the part of our group are like texting me, like, where are you, like, we're about to play games, we're about to do this, and I'm just like, ah. So we're in the car, and each car is moving slowly, one at a time, to get into the park, and um, we have to pay for parking, so that's why we're in the queue, and we're waiting. And, you know, we're progressing normally, and then there's this one car in front of us, and when it's his turn, we're like, okay, we're next. Like, you know, this feeling of anticipation? And he takes his sweet time. Like, it just, I'm, I look at Andrew, I'm like, oh my gosh, what is he talking about right now? Like, why are they taking so long? Everyone else moved at a normal rate. And then, he does something weird. So we're behind him, right? He sticks his hand out the window, and he goes like this, like he's pointing at us, and I'm like, why is he pointing at us? What's he saying? What, what? And I just think the worst, right? Like, so I'm like, what is this guy? What's his deal, right? And then he like drives off. So I'm like, oh, finally, okay, just whatever. So we drive, we drive up to the window and Andrew's talking to the parking attendant. And we tell her we're here with a group, whatever. And then we're getting ready to pay for parking and she's like, okay, you can go. And we're like, uh, don't we have to pay for parking? And she's like, oh, that guy ahead of us, like he just paid for everyone's parking. <laughs> and I was like, what? And everything negative that I thought <laughs> about that person just like evaporated and I was like, oh my gosh, what an amazing person. I didn't even get a look at what he looked like. I don't even remember his car because it was like, I wasn't paying attention, right? And I could not thank him. He just did it anonymously. It was very like generous and just moved on. And he, we couldn't pay him back. Like he didn't give us that opportunity. So, so we went on and we were just like very blessed by that, um, that guy, whoever he is. Was it one of you? I don't know, <laughs> I don't know who it was, okay? But anyway, um, this is the kind of thing that happens between Boaz and Naomi. If you look at their relationship in the four chapters, they actually don't really talk to each other. They, they don't really interact with each other, but somehow there's, a, there's an important relationship between them, and love still flows between them. So I'll, we'll talk more about that, but I wanna, um, before we jump into Ruth chapter two, I want to talk about Ruth chapter 1, just to summarize in case you were not here or you haven't been following along. So in Ruth chapter 1, we learn that this is set in the dark period of, the judge, of Judges, and there's a famine in the land. And we find out about this one family, Elimelech and his family, because of the famine in, in God's land, in the land of um, promise. Elimelech and his family abandon God's people. They leave, and they have to survive, so they go to Moab. And Moab is actually a place where their enemies are, they're, God's, they're enemies to the um, God's people. And they set up shop there, and things kinda don't really work out, Elimelech dies. But fortunately for his wife Naomi, they have two sons, because at that time, in that part of the world, in that day, women actually survived um, because of the men in their life, due to the, um, the, their sons and their husbands. So she was blessed, she had two sons, okay? They got married, and they were living all together, these two sons and two daughter-in-laws and Naomi. And maybe about 10 years or so um, later, um, they're still not, these women are still not able to produce heirs, so they don't have any children. They're barren, and then these two men die. So now here are three women, three widows, in this culture, in this land, and they don't have any men to give them um, shelter, protection, um, provision, and they're just like alone. And so, 
I, I, it's hard for us to imagine this because we live in a very different culture where there's a lot of supports for, for people, um, for women and for those who are vulnerable. So it's hard to imagine actually being that desperate in that situation. And Naomi, out of love for her daughters-in-law, she releases them to go back and remarry. They're still young. They can probably start over, have their own families. And she hears that God has lifted the famine over his people back in Canaan. And so she thinks, you know what, maybe I'll go back to the people of God. I'll return to them in my broken state, in my pain. I'm going to go back to God's family. And she, she tells them that, and then the women, like, they don't want to leave her at first, but then she, like, convinces them, so Orpah leaves. But Ruth, as Daniel shared, she did not leave. She stuck by her mother-in-law and says, like, where you go, I will go. Your people will be my people. Your God will be my God. Okay, so she even becomes a new convert and takes on this new identity as, um, you know, following Naomi. So they go, and the end of the chapter, chapter one, it says that Naomi and Ruth arrived in Bethlehem. That was the place that she was from. And when they arrived, the town was stirred because of them. So everyone's talking like, oh, Naomi's back. They're probably excited to see her. But they also find out, oh, where's her husband? What's, and they kind of find out about her troubles and what she's been through. All right. And then Naomi, she says, oh, don't call me Naomi anymore. Call me Mara, which means like, I think bitter or something like that, because God has, you know, dealt bitterly with me. So she's in a very broken, very hopeless place. Um, as she returns to God's people. So now we're in chapter 2, and the very first verse of chapter 2, we learn about this man named Boaz, um, and it says that Boaz, in verse 1, Boaz um, is a close relative of Naomi, and he is a worthy man. That, that worthy man phrase can also be translated a mighty man of wealth, Okay, so Boaz, he's this wealthy man in his community, good standing, but he's also a relative of Elimelech. So this is Naomi's late husband. He's a relative. Um, we don't know exactly how they're related, but they're connected, okay? Somehow a close relative. Um, so it talks about Boaz, it introduces him, and then it goes back to Ruth. And Ruth um, says to, oh, sorry, 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 sorry. Okay, Boaz, okay, that's right. I was going to just stop there at that verse, that one verse, verse one. Um, so I want you to think about this. There's this one guy, Elimelech, and him and his family, his, his wife and his two sons, they leave and they go and, you know, terrible things happen. But then there's this guy, Boaz, who stays in Bethlehem and there's a famine. The famine impacted everyone in the land, but somehow this guy came out of it still wealthy. He came out of it okay. And that kind of like has us kind of scratching our head, like how did that happen? And I think sometimes when we look at our own lives, we... We look at these things of like what we have and what we don't have, and, and we, we like to think that we are the ones who give ourselves these things, okay? So I'll give you, give you some examples. We have a lot of privilege. Everyone in this room today, just by being in this room, living in this country today, you have so much. And these things were not things that you chose. They were things that God gave to you. For example, none of you chose the family you were born into, okay? God did that right? None of you chose, if you were born in Canada, you didn't choose the nation you were born into. You didn't have a choice when you're in your mother's womb. You were born here, okay? And some of us were, I think some of you were born in the U.S., same thing. These are two very privileged countries in the world today, okay? We have so much more than so much more of the world, than, than so many people in the world. Living in Ontario, we have, like Mike alluded to it, we have access to education and health care, okay? 
a lot of the world, even our neighbors down south, don't all have access to free healthcare. You know, they have to like pay for it, whatever. So these are things we didn't choose, guys. They, they happened. God gave them to us. Another thing is, if you grew up in a Christian home, many of you received the gift of faith at a very young age. Again, God was the one who put you in that family in the first place. You didn't choose that family. And some of us, we came to faith later on because we met somebody that God put in our life, you know, and maybe through their witness, we came to faith. Many of us in the room have jobs because we have an ability to work that God gave us. Many of us have um, other opportunities that have come to us just because of who we knew or where we were living. Uh, We have a roof over our heads. Um, and we have family and a church community that we can depend on. Now, some of these things, okay, you can say, oh yeah, but I chose that church, or I chose that job, I chose, but most of these things, you didn't choose. God providentially gave it to you. He provided for us. So God, so Boaz, when you look at his life, God has, God is the reason he is standing wealthy today. God has providentially cared for Boaz, because that's what he does. God cares for his people. He is the one. He is sovereign over everything. He controls everything. He, everything in the world is his, and he can distribute it as he pleases, okay? So I want you to remember that. God is the person who is responsible for what we have and, and what blessings and what gifts we have. So now we're going to go, that means that if you're, you know, part of God's family, that you'll never be in need, right? Is that, is that what that means? Well, what about Ruth and Naomi? There's a tension there. What about them? Because they, you know, Naomi's part of the people of God, and now Ruth has become part of the people. Why are they in need at this? Does this mean God doesn't providentially care for his people? Why are they in need? So this is kind of like a tension that we're wrestling with um, in the story. And um, I want to talk about uh, Ruth. So Ruth, when they arrive in Bethlehem, um, I'm assuming that Someone didn't open up their homes to them and is taking care of their needs. I'm assuming that. Maybe that's not true. Maybe people did. But um, either way, Ruth decides, I need to do something or we're going to starve. Okay, she decides, I need to help my mother-in-law. So she goes to Naomi like a respectful daughter-in-law, like a daughter, and says to her, can I go and glean? And so what is gleaning? I want us to look at Deuteronomy chapter 24, um, verses 19 to 22. Okay, so this is, in, this is one of God's laws. It says, When you reap your harvest in your field and forget a sheaf in the field, you shall not go back to get it. It shall be for the sojourner, the fatherless, and the widow, um, that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hands. When you beat your olive trees, you shall not go over them again. It shall be for the sojourner, the fatherless, and the widow. Uh, next slide. When you gather the grapes of your vineyard, you shall not strip it afterwards. It shall be for the sojourner, the fatherless, and the widow. You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt. Therefore, I command you to do this. So God established this gleaning law. And, you know, his people, they kind of lived under these laws because this is the kind of people. God was like, I want you to live a different way. I want you to live my way. And if you look at this, it's actually very beautiful because God knew that they were going to be widows in that society who would probably be desperate and in need. He knew that they were going to be orphans. He knew that they were going to be foreign, sojourners like foreigners. So it's like, you know, refugees or immigrants, people who are visiting. He knew that they would be more vulnerable in the society. And so he said, you know, if you have a farm or if you have a vineyard, just leave stuff for them. Let them, don't rebuke them, don't send them away. Let them go to your fields and, and, um, 
basically collect the leftovers. This, whatever you don't glean, whatever you don't um, harvest, let them pick up the leftovers. That's what gleaning is. So gleaning is essentially a type of, a form of begging, if you think about it. Ruth is humbling herself to a form of begging, okay? Ruth, guys, keep this in mind, at, at any time she can leave Naomi, she can go back to her father's house in Moab, okay? So the fact that she says, okay, I'm gonna do this, she's humbling herself. And we find out later on in the chapter through various hints that this is actually a dangerous job for a woman, okay? Um, we find out that um, women probably get assaulted sometimes in, 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 that, in the fields, right? And Naomi knows this. So if you can put yourself in her shoes for a moment, when Ruth is coming to her and saying, can I go and glean in the field, of, in, whom, in someone's field who I'm, in whom I find favor, um, Naomi's probably thinking, oh man, like, Ruth is asking me to allow her to go and do something dangerous, something risky, something that could hurt her, her well-being. And, but they're so desperate, guys, at this point, that Naomi says, go. She, she relieves her. And she, I think she probably senses, like, Ruth really wants to do this, and Ruth is doing it out of love. Like, why else would you subject yourself to that, right? That's kind of the situation that a lot of people in our world today who are poor, who are affected by poverty, um, oppression of any kind, they find themselves in these kinds of situations sometimes out of desperation. Like the children who are collecting garbage in Egypt, they're not there because they want to be there. They're not there because that's the best option for them. They're there because that's the only option for their family to survive, okay? Then there's other women and children who work in sweatshops and are oppressed by their employers because there aren't the same labor laws and protections that we have. And these are clothes that we wear, guys, from Bangladesh and all that. They are working in those conditions because they have to, not because they want to. And that's the reality. And we think, okay, that's like other parts of the world. That doesn't happen in Canada. That certainly doesn't happen in Toronto. guys. It happens. I lived, lived in St. Jamestown, and I had so many neighbors, and I met incredibly hardworking, really um, amazing people, people of good character. And I met some women who would work for cash because they were not able to work, maybe find a legit job, because no one would hire them, because they are from another country, whatever. So they would work for cash because they were desperate, and under the table, and they would be treated so poorly by their employers, like really badly, but they couldn't really do anything about it, because they just needed the money, and their employers, like, there's no proof that they work for them, like, you know, so they got away with it. These things are happening right here, in our city, in our home, in our neighborhood, right here, these things are happening, okay? So, Sometimes people find themselves in these situations because of um, they got nothing else to do. So um, I want to focus on verse 3 right now. Verse 3 says, So she set out, this is Ruth, she set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers, and she happened to come to part of the field that belonging to Boaz, who was of the clan of Elimelech. So that guy we just heard about, the rich man, who's a relative of Naomi, it says that Ruth happened to come to his part of the field. And this happened, as we hear it, we're also probably thinking the same thing the, the first audience thought of when they heard this, this story, like, happened? Could this be a coincidence that maybe Ruth is here right now? Is, it, is this just chance that she ended up in this man's field? Like, why is she, like, you know, there's something kind of fishy going on. There's something suspicious happening in the story. Why is she there? Um, and then as we read on in the story, we find out that Boaz is actually also a godly man. Like, he, he shows up, so he comes from Bethlehem, 
and he shows up and he blesses his workers and they bless him back and there seems to be this really good relationship between him and his workers, okay? But here's another thing that hap that's a coincidence. Okay, guys, Boaz lives in Bethlehem, so he lives in the city and he, ha he, he has all this property and he has a farm and he's hired people to be responsible over his field, okay? So he's not there every day, he has trusted workers. So on the day that Ruth is gleaning in his field, he happens to be there. This is like another thing. So the owner is there on the day she shows up. Is that another coincidence that this guy is actually in the, I don't know, we're all wondering, is this, you know, what's God doing, what's happening? Um, so, uh, and then of course, because he's such an amazing boss, he knows all of his workers, he, he recognizes somebody he doesn't know. Well, who's that woman over there? I, I don't, she looks unfamiliar to me, who is that? Like he actually cares, right? And then his servant tells him, oh, that's um, the Moabite woman, you know, the one, the, the one that came with Naomi. From, so, so Boaz has already heard about, everyone's heard about them, but the worker, that's, that's her. And actually, she came and she was very polite and she said, can I glean in your field? And we said, okay, like they let her. Um, and she, she's been gleaning from when she got there, early morning until now. So she's really working very hard. And so Boaz sees that and um, he, and, and he um, witnesses that. All right, so what, is this, what does this mean for us? Could this be, mean that God led Ruth to Boaz's field? Sometimes God brings needs before his people, okay? So I want you to, I want you to think about that. Um, maybe God has placed someone in your life who is struggling and you become aware of some of the things that they're going through, some of the things that they need. Maybe someone in your BLG right now is struggling with finances. And he doesn't know how he's gonna pay his bills this month. So you find out that, that situation. Maybe you have a neighbor who you find out is sick and it's pretty obvious that they could use some help around the house, maybe with meals or something. You just, you just heard about their situation. Maybe a friend that you know is going through a rough time and could really use some prayer and encouragement. Um, maybe you have a coworker who just showed up on your team and he's from out of town and you know, doesn't know anyone in Toronto, doesn't have any friends, okay? So, he, and you know, he's probably really lonely. And so we are left wondering, like, why? Why does God allow these things to happen to people? Why is he allowing, allowing people to struggle? Why is he allowing people to suffer? And then why is he bringing these things to our attention? Why are they there? That's kind of the questions that are, well, that's what's running through my mind, I don't know. Um, so when we look at this story about Ruth and Boaz, we're sitting there asking, God, why has Ruth ended up in Boaz's field on this day at this time? And what happens? Well, let's, um, if we look at the rest of the story, it says that um, Boaz actually goes out of his way now to show favor. He could have just stopped and said, all right, there's a gleaning law. I know, I know the gleaning law. I'll just let her do her thing and just you know, let it be. But he actually goes the extra mile. He goes and has a conversation with her. So he decides that I'm going to, um, I'm going to have a relationship. I'm going to initiate a relationship. We're going to talk. We're going to become friends, right? So he goes and he gets involved in her situation. And he says, guys, he says, okay, first of all, don't go anywhere else. You can glean safely in my field and not worry about any trouble. I'm going to protect you. You can work with my young women who are working in the fields. And he says, and the men, don't worry about them. They won't touch you. You can go and drink their water and nothing is going to happen to you because I ordered them to, that they can't, they can't harm you. So, and then, um, and then Ruth is like, oh my gosh, like, 
I, why? Like, so she, she just, so like, I, her reaction actually is kind of sad because it, it makes me think like, I, I can just imagine the fear that she was under, the risk that she was taking, and now this like relief comes over her. She falls to her knees and she's like, oh, thank you so much, she's so grateful. And she says, why? Like, why would you do this for me? I'm a foreigner, I'm not one of your people, I'm not from here. And Boaz says like, I've heard. I've heard about what you've done for Naomi. I've heard about what you've done for her. Um, and, and he says, um, uh, and I know the great sacrifice you have made. So Boaz believes in what she's doing. He sees what she's doing, he believes in it, and he wants to help. He wants to support her. And he prays for her, he says, the Lord repay you for what you have done, and a full reward be given to you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. He sees this new convert, and he's like, you're doing a good thing, and I want to encourage you. I want to bless you. And so Ruth, she's comforted, she's relieved, she's encouraged, and she goes back to work, working diligently, working so hard, and it doesn't stop there, guys, okay? Then Boaz says, and, and Mike read this, he says, Ruth, why don't you come? Come and eat with my workers, okay? So she's invited to the table. So there's still this, like, you know, this dynamic of friendship. And she eats, and she has enough food that there's leftovers, okay, guys? So she takes that food, and then she doesn't just sit there and be like, oh, yeah, and she goes back to work. And she works hard the rest of the day. And then Boaz doesn't stop there. He says to his workers, hey, guys, when she's gleaning in the fields, just, just leave a little bit there for her. Like, don't, give her extra. Like, when you, when you bundle up the wheat, just, like, pull some out, drop it there for her, and let her pick it up, and don't rebuke her for it, let her take it. So, Boaz is being very, very, very generous, very, very kind to this woman. And I want to go now to the, a very important part of the story, and this is verses 19 to 20. All right. So this is... Um, Uh, okay, it says here, and her mother, okay, so, oh, sorry, so Ruth is done, she's worked so hard, she's collected so much grain because of Boaz, and she has leftovers from her lunch, and she brings them home, she goes back to Naomi, and her mother-in-law said to her, where did you glean today, and where have you worked? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. So she told her mother-in-law with whom she had worked, and said, the man's name with whom I work today is Boaz. And Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, May he be blessed by the Lord, whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. Naomi also said to her, The man is a close relative of ours, one of our redeemers. Okay, there is a lot going on in this verse, so we're just going to stop here for a while, and I want to explain these, those two words. So first, the word kindness. All right. Checking the time. Okay, good, good. We're good. Okay, so kindness. Kindness is actually our best attempt in English to put, like, to identify what this word means, to define this word. Okay, so kindness is the Hebrew word chesed, okay? And it means, like, a voluntary act performed for the benefit of a person in real and desperate need in the context of a deep and enduring commitment between the parties concerned, okay? So there is no word in our language to really capture all that this word means, all right? In this word, there's so much wrapped up in it. There's love, there's mercy, there's grace, kindness, goodness, benevolence, loyalty, and covenant faithfulness. This is the kind of love that is demonstrated in a committed relationship, in an enduring relationship, a faithful one. This 
is like all those things, love, grace, all the things that are shown to a person. And, um, but it's very interesting because Naomi says, she basically praises God for his kindness. She says, for his kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. Now, why is she saying, why is she praising God in this moment when God is actually not mentioned in this story at all? Did, did we see God say something or do something in the story? No, Boaz is the person who extended kindness to, to Ruth and Naomi. So why is Naomi praising God? Um, well, let's look at the word redeemer and let's unpack that a little bit. So redeemer is something that is foreign to us as well and we, if you've been in the church world, you've heard it a lot, you probably grew up singing songs about um, Jesus being a redeemer, but what does it mean? Well, um, the family of God, so the people of God, was divided into different family groups, okay? So God always thinks in terms of families, all right? So these families existed and in each of those families, there was a person whose responsibility was to take care and, of the rest of the family, especially if something bad happened. It was their job to kind of go out of their way to help that person, all right? So there were three kinds of things that they, they did in this, in this role as a redeemer. They would avenge shed blood. So if someone got, you know, there was an injustice or something, they would go and avenge that. They would redeem land or slaves. So sometimes people found themselves in desperate situations. They had to sell their land or they had to sell themselves or they were sold into slavery. So a redeemer would go and buy them back and buy back the land, buy them back. Um, and the other thing that a redeemer did was provide an heir. So in this case, I mentioned Naomi doesn't have any sons anymore, doesn't have a husband. There's no way for these women to produce a male heir. And, and this all float, um, went through the men in their culture. So a redeemer would come, and usually it was like the brother or somebody close, and they would marry the widow and produce a male heir with her so that that name could still carry on and that woman could still have a standing in society. So they would do that. And the redeemer in the family was often given much resource from the rest. So if you were like the eldest son, for example, and, and that was your role as a redeemer, you would inherit like a lot more than your siblings. The reason for it was not so you could just, you know, be wealthy and be blessed because you're the firstborn, right? It's because you had a responsibility that when something happened, you would be able to be the one to help the family and help that individual. So um, the fact that Ruth happened to end up in a field of one of the redeemers of this larger family, um, I think that this is an example of God's providence that I talked about earlier. God brought her here in this field at this time because God knew that Boaz was in a position and he could help her, all right? And um, Boaz, being the redeemer, he knew what his responsibility was. And so probably when Naomi came back, he knew, oh, Naomi's Elimelech's um, wife. He probably already knew, like, hmm, maybe there's like, am I supposed to do something? He's probably already asking those questions. So now he can't avoid it. Ruth is in his field. It's right in front of him. And he's like forced to like, how can I, like, you know, what can I do? And so I actually think that it's, like, when he helps Ruth, he's not just helping Ruth. You know, a lot of people, they look at Ruth and they think, oh, this is just a romance, like, oh, Boaz. He's just so, like, nice to Ruth. Like, women, you need to look for a Boaz. Like, you know, it's like, guys, this is not, there's no romance here in this, in this chapter. Do you see any romance? There's no romance. I actually think that he knows by helping Ruth, he is helping his close relative, Naomi. He is extending his 
kindness to her. He is helping her out. Because um, Naomi can't do anything. She's old. She can't work. She can't have any other children. She's in that place. The Redeemer would help you knowing that you could not pay him back. Okay? That's, and it's voluntary. He's not forced to. God doesn't ever force us to do anything, guys. It's always a choice. Okay? He's not forced to. But if he does it, that's, that's um, I think it's a reflection of God. So what does all of this mean for us today? Well, God providentially cares for us, and his providential care, his provision and care for us, includes our care for others. And I have um, an illustration to show this, okay? So everything we have, guys, everything you have, all those privileges that I listed out at the start, and everything physical that you have, your money and your bank account, all of it, your home, your family, you know, everything we have was not meant for our benefit and our enjoyment, not just our benefit and enjoyment. It was meant for others. It was always meant to include others, okay? So here's um, an illustration. Um, yeah, so you can go to the next slide. Oh, 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 no, the other one. The, yeah, 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 that one. Okay. God's plan. Okay, this is not a weapon. I know it looks like one. This is a pipe. All right? Thanks, Isaac. Isaac's my brother-in-law. Hooked me up. All right. God's plan is for his people to be conduits, not containers of his kindness. Okay? So I want you to think about this. A conduit is like, you know, there's different uses of that word. It could be, it could be in, like, electricity and, like, you know, things that conduct um, electricity. But I want to use this image of water. Okay? So... Kindness, think of kindness, God's kindness as water. This is a pipe. And God's kindness enters our lives, and it flows through us to other people. Okay, so... <laughs> yeah. Okay, so just imagine that. It flows through, okay? This is God's plan for his people. If you are a child of God, this is who you are. You are a conduit. You are a pipe. God's kindness, all that thing, mercy, love, grace, um, all those things I listed, covenant faithfulness, all that, it flows through you to other people. All right? That's his plan for us. And if you think about it, what does that mean? It means you can only give what you've been given, okay? So you only give what's come from the source. You can't just muster up and go give more. You have to give what comes from God. And it also means that it's costly. You can't hold anything back. If I poured water through this, I can't, like, stop it. It's going to go. Go through, right? It's costly, guys, okay? So that's what a pipe does. That's what a conduit does. A container. What's the difference between a pipe and a container? Well, a container will store up God's kindness, and it will just kind of like fill up, fill up, fill up, fill up, fill up, and then it'll, it has a limit. Eventually, like, it'll overflow, right? Okay, but forget that. Just, it has a limit. There's a cap, okay? Imagine there's a lid on this container, okay? All right, now I want you to think about this, okay? What's wrong with this? If we, if we are a container, we end up collecting all this kindness from God, this blessing, his favor, and all that, those things, and it's essentially hoarding, guys. We are holding on to what God has given us. And because of that, we actually miss out <laughs> the things that go wrong. We actually miss out of more blessing. We miss out of more of God's kindness. And this is what happens to us when some people, you know, like, we've, and I, I actually am guilty of this, so I, I don't say, like, you know, you guys, are, this is you. This is me, too. Sometimes, like, we live our lives, we live off of God's kindness from last year, 
or like God's kindness from 15 years ago, all right? And we're just like living off of it and like, oh yeah, it's so good. What God did when I was 16, that was so awesome. And we miss out of what God wants to do today because we're still living in that. We're still dwelling in that. We're still holding on to those things, all right? So that's the one thing that's wrong with that. And so our scope of God becomes very limited. You don't actually get to know who God is. Guys, there's so much to know about God, and if you're still stuck there, you're missing out, okay? The second thing is, that happens is, we become self-sufficient, okay? So we say to ourselves, oh, I don't need God. I still got that measure of kindness in my life. I I don't need him anymore. But God is our source. What What do we mean we don't need him anymore? Because we haven't been in the place where we needed him. We haven't been in a desperate place because we're holding on to stuff. We have everything that we need. And then the last thing that happens is we, be- we become idolaters. So we start to treasure the things that we have more than God himself. Okay? We start to treasure those things. So God's plan for his people, guys, it's not just to benefit others. It's also for our good. Do you, like, there's so much more God wants to do in your life and through you, but you have to release You have to love. You have to give. What good is Boaz's estate and all his property if he wasn't going to share it? What good is it to him? Like, it's meant to be shared. It's meant to be passed on. And if you look at the entire story of Ruth, um, as you will track in the next two chapters of well, the new chapters as well, God's kindness flows back and forth between all three characters, between Ruth and Naomi. So here in this position, in this place, well, you know, first we find out about Ruth. Ruth, God's kindness flows through Ruth to Naomi when she sticks by her. And then Boaz sees Ruth and he is kind to Ruth, which also gets passed on to Naomi, okay? So Ruth is helping Naomi by passing on that kindness through Ruth. And all of these people have to be obedient in order for this to flow, right? And then later on, we'll find out that Naomi, she's older, she's wiser, she knows a bit, of, a bit about life, and she sees, oh, here are two really awesome people, and if they just came together, it'd be more awesome, okay? And she kind of tips, you know, and tells Ruth, like, hey, you should ask, well, I'm not going to tell you, okay? Everyone knows, okay? She asked him to marry her, okay? Um, and then Boaz, his kindness flows back to Naomi when, this is all spoilers, okay? <laughs> they're gonna have a kid, they're gonna have a male child, and he's gonna be an heir for Naomi, so now, you know what, guys? Like, these are God's people, and they're living this way. They are interdependent, they're relying on each other. God is flowing. That is who God's people are supposed to be. We're supposed to be like that with each other, all right? Okay, so, how am I doing for time? Okay, oh no, I've gone over. <laughs> It's okay, I'm done. So just remember that. What, um, so I just want to close with a, a couple things, and yeah, you guys can come up now. If you, what does this mean for us today at TLC? If God has brought something to your attention, a need, he probably wants you to do something about it, okay? It doesn't mean now run ahead of him and go and act. Like, the first thing you should do is pray. So this is where the hearing happens in the hear, trust, and obey, right? When you pray and you spend time with God, he aligns your will with his. He shows you exactly what you have, but he also shows you what your limitations are. He shows you where you need him and where you might need others, okay? So there's a lot that happens in prayer, and we forget that. That is one of the privileges we have, guys. We can pray, okay? And then the other thing is trust. Trust that God cares for people, and he cares for people through you. And if you are in a place of need, trust that God is going to care for you um, through somebody, okay? Now notice, like, the, if you go on to the story, you'll find out there's actually a closer relative, 
which we'll find out later about him. Um, God brought Ruth to Boaz's field, okay? But there was another guy, and we'll find out what he does later, okay? But there's a reason that God did that, because he was providing, for, it's, it's all part of his plan, okay? So he uses us. Um, I'm not gonna show that picture, because it's too long, but I'm gonna sh- end with a story, um, a personal story, and then I'm done. So um, when I was a new believer, I, I came to faith later in life, I came to faith at 19, and 17, uh, whatever, okay, teenager, and um, I'm so old now. Um, and my dad got really, really sick in those early years of my faith. I think I was like a Christian for two years. And then my dad got really sick. And it was very obvious to us he was probably going to die. He had cancer. And the, they told us fourth stage pancreatic cancer, two months to live. Like, it was really bad. And I was part of a church at the time. And my sisters were part of that church. And they had become believers. And my parents were not believers, OK? And I remember, like, in that situation, I was like, OK, I was 17. Elaine, my sister over there, was like 16. My brother was 14. He's the youngest. And I have another sister who's a year younger than me. We're all teenagers. We're all kids. Our dad's dying. My mom doesn't know what to do. It's like chaotic in our house. And one of the guys from the church called me. And he said, and he's like a friend, one of, one of our friends. And he's like, Michelle, how can we help your family at this time? And he offered me, just like Boaz did, a sense of dignity. He didn't just like show up at my house with all these like, things I didn't need. He, he involved me in the conversation, and he, he, he said, like, do you guys need help cleaning your house? Do you, need, do you need an escape? Do you want to come hang out with some people? Do you want some food? And I immediately thought, oh, yeah, that's the thing that we lack, that we suck at. My dad is the cook in the family. He's amazing, and he's sick, and he can't cook right now, and we're suffering, <laughs> okay? So he's like, okay, done. And guys, I don't, know, I don't know what happened behind the scenes. I don't know what sacrifices happened behind the scenes. All I know is that two to three times a week, people were showing up at our door, strangers, people I didn't know, dropping off food at our house, okay? Week one, my mom was like, oh man, these people, no, 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 they're too good to us. They're too good to us. Like, oh, it's too much, right? Week two, my mom was like, oh, the church, they're so good to us. The church, they're so good to us. Week three, my mom was like bawling. She's like, God is so good to us. Guys, and then, uh, so many things happen. Okay, I can go into that story. That's what happens when we are conduits. Guys, when we are conduits, my mom went from like, oh, these are just people, people blessing. Oh, no, these people are part of the family of God. Oh, they're part of the family of God. This is God doing this. Can you imagine what would happen in our community around us, what would happen in our lives, in our world, if all the Christians in the church were conduits and not containers? God would receive all the glory, people would come to know him, and we would all be redeemed. Everyone. Everyone. All right. Let me pray for us, and then um, we're going to go into a time of communion. Um, God, I just want to thank you, first of all, that you are our source, that everything we have, most of the time we take these things for granted. All of it, everything in our lives is from you. We thank you for your goodness. We thank you for who you are. And God, we thank you for these opportunities that you put in our lives to give, to serve, to love, to extend your kindness to others. We thank you that we get to participate in that. God, open our eyes to see the needs around us, to show us what we are to do about them. God, help us become this like complex community of pipes where everyone is just loving and sharing everything in common and we're just really passing on your love from one person to another. Let none of us be containers anymore.
We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you want to know more about the TLC community, check out trinitylife.ca or you can find us on Facebook. Of course, we'd way rather meet you in person, so we hope to see you at a service soon.